I thank you for that because I, I realize that, uh, that we're not all on the same page. Uh, and, you know, that's okay. That's, that's where we're at. Uh, but I know that there are a, a large portion of you who, who want to see this move forward, but also that, uh, that we would all recognize that, that I know not everybody's on that page. So uh, that we would always seek to, to include one another in where, what we're doing. So uh, to listen, be willing to listen, because uh, we all have opinions and we're all vested in this. So I thank you for that. <clears throat> so as we begin today in our series of messages on this, uh, the promise, I just want to start by reminding you of something you did in school to avoid uh, anything that was in front of you, at least some of us did. Uh, we had a staring contest. Anybody ever a staring contest? Anybody ever do that when they're in school? To avoid where you just, it's a challenge, right? That you're just going to, who the first person to blink loses. Never did that? Am I the only one who did that? Yeah, we, we competed about everything, even who could hold their eyes open the longest. So it was, it was really, it was just an excuse not to do schoolwork. So we just like have these staring things where if you blink, you lose. And you didn't really lose anything, but you, you lost in general. Anyway. It was just a matter of the will, right? If you could actually hold your eyes open, no matter how much dust got in there, you just have to physically sometimes even hold your eyes open to win. All that to be a matter of will that, that sometimes our will is tested, right? I don't know if you've ever had your will tested like the idea of patience can. Uh, anybody ever prayed for patience? Yeah, you go ahead and do that. I'm, I'm going to leave you to it. But I have a test for you today. Uh, I, have a, I have a test for you today, and that test is a patience test. Uh, so just some questions. This is you know, normally I say don't point and don't poke at the person next to you. Uh, today though you can do that, uh, especially here in the beginning. You can call each other out and all you want. So so here's some questions for you. How long are you willing to wait at a green light when the car in front of you does not go? Three seconds, five seconds, ten seconds. Okay. How many of you? How many of you? How many of you watch the popcorn pop, thinking it will speed up? Am I the only one? I don't think so. I don't think I am. I don't, I don't believe I am. How many of you, like, pull, go around a car on the shoulder? And I don't mean when they have, like, this go-around lane. I mean you drive off the road onto the shoulder of the road to go around a car turning left. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. I see some hands of honest people, right, because because you're a bad driver, that's fine. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you, can, you can own it all you want. <laughs> how, many of you, how many of you continually turn the bacon thinking that it'll cook faster if you get both sides? If you can get both sides working, right? Uh, yeah, okay, all right. I'm not the only one that does that. All right. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you, when you go into the store to pay for your gas and someone is writing a check, Lord forbid, that you pay for their gas? That's because you don't want to wait that bad. Or, or if they pull out change. Right now, how many of you would say, "Just, just, what it, I'm paying, I'll pay for the coke." Like, like, let me get it. Okay, somebody is holding their head because yes, I have done that. Amen. I have too. <laughs> I have too. Impatience can make us do things that that we didn't plan to do. Right? It just causes us to kind of rush ahead. Today, I'm going to ask you, what if your impatience, your lack of patience, when you feel that bubbling up inside, that stress, that anxiety, you know what that feels like, right? When you start to feel that coming on, what if instead of pushing ahead, that, that would prompt you to wait longer? What if? What if that desire to run ahead would actually switch and cause
cause you just to sit and wait even more. I don't know, that's my prayer for today. It's a, it's a lofty prayer for all of us, right? But I believe it's, it's possible because I believe that's what we're going to see happening in our story. In Genesis 16 uh, of the series called The Promise, it's, the promise was last week. We talked about the promise last week. It was in Genesis 15, verse 18, where we saw that... Um, that's up there too, son, too soon. But uh, we saw last week that, that God promised Abram, right, that he would give him a land, that he would give him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? That's the promise that, that Abram has been living into all this time. Scripture says that further that Abram believed God, believed God. And, that, and because of that, because of his belief, God said, you're righteous. Wow. Just because, not because of how he acted. <laughs> Remember that. Not because of how he acted. Not because of he performed perfectly. But instead because he believed God. He trusted God no matter what. No matter what life brought him, he trusted God. He was determined to trust God. No matter what God was doing, he would look to believe him. This week, Abram takes a back seat in the story. This week. Uh, this week we're going to look at his wife, Sarah, and Hagar. Now, Sarah has been there this whole time. She's been kind of a, a bit player, right? She's been a, a co-star in this whole... She hadn't had any speaking parts. She hadn't really done anything. Things have been done to her, right? She's been, she's been used and manipulated throughout this whole thing. She's been living out this promise. Even though God spoke to Abram, she's been a big part of it. As a matter of fact, she's the one that was to deliver the promise, right? I mean, let's think about that for a moment. I mean, let's be real about this, right? Ten years ago... God promised them to give them descendants, and Abram was, I mean, Sarah was going to be the one, right? Ten years ago, and nothing's happened. Now, <laughs> let's just be honest. Ten years ago, when they heard about it, they probably ran out and got the fireworks and the sparklers. They were going to have the reveal party, right? They were going to, whatever it is, they were going to, they, they bought the blue and the pink paint. They were going to paint the, the, the camel, I guess, and, uh, you know, have him walk out. They were all ready, like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Right? They were excited about it. Ten years ago, ten years later, she's probably like, just baby, come on. Like, let's just do this already, right? It's become not exciting, but, but uh, that baby will just be a relief that it's finally over. The waiting is finally over. Abram comes home every day to a, bur a barren woman and says, how's that baby maker doing? No, baby maker ain't happening, Right? How's the mother of the promise? <laughs> Stop. It ain't no promise. Stop asking. It's frustrating, right? After a while, I'm sure it would. That's what we can look, learn from Sarah, is when waiting brings frustration into our lives. Brings frustration. Genesis chapter 16, we're going to start right at the beginning, and we're going to read through this passage today. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So he said to Abram, so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can bring a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar. And she conceived, and when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. 
Then Sarah said to Abram, You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now look, now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Yeah, wow. Frustrating, to say the least, right? She's frustrated to say, I mean, imagine the pressure that Sarah feels to be the one to deliver the promise, right? I don't know, I can't imagine, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that back then, that if a, a husband and wife, if they were childless, it was one person's responsibility, the woman. Just, you know, they didn't understand medically that, that it's both of them, it's, there's a lot that goes invo- that's involved. But they didn't understand all that. They, they believed that it was God who made wimp, woman bear children, and that was where it stopped. And so she decides to help God in her frustration. She gives her husband a servant, her servant, to be his wife. And this sounds strange to us, right? Like, what you, why in the world would you do that? But it, it was part of the culture. It was, it was acceptable to them that if a, a wife wasn't able to bear children, then she would give her husband a, a servant so that they could have an heir, so that the family line would continue. You might think of, wow, that's humbling, or that was generous. Maybe, I don't know, but uh, regardless... It was. It wouldn't alert the neighbors. People wouldn't be going. Did you see what he's? Who's he with? Nobody would say that. Nobody would say. Did y'all see Abram and Hagar? No. It's just okay. It does remind us, though. While it wouldn't raise alarms back then, it would. It should remind us of something that's just happened, just a few pages back. I don't know if you remembered it when we just read it. But in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis three. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Sound familiar? Right? It's kind of the same story. That They got tired of waiting for God. They got tired of waiting depending on God's plan. Like God had told Adam and Eve that, hey, I've got a plan for creation. You can eat anything you want, but not that one. Here, God says, I've got a plan. And Sarah says, but I got a better plan. Because your plan involves waiting. And frankly, I'm tired of waiting. I've got a better plan. Now, Scripture doesn't describe Hagar as being, you know, her name doesn't sound very attractive, but, but I'm sure it doesn't describe her as being pleasing to the eye. But I guarantee you there was a carnal attraction between Abram and Hagar. It was there problem with the first sin was a lack of trusting God's plan and here the problem is the same trusting God's plan frustration comes as they waited for God and waited for God and waited for God and so they come up with a plan that's better than waiting for God when we get frustrated with God it should be a wake up call for us to test our patience not to allow our impatience test us but we should test our patience. I think as we look at Sarah, we can learn something, some great lessons from her. We can learn that we can learn what we should not ought to do. That's even right the way to say that. Things that we shouldn't do, right? It's easy to normally we look at scripture and say that's how you have to live your life, right? And we kind of but in Sarah's life, we're going to see how what not to do. What not to do. It starts right there in the, in the beginning, those first two verses. She had no child, so she got her servant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband. She was tired of waiting. She was tired of waiting. 
She had to do something. Sarah didn't want to wait, frankly. She, was, she didn't want to. That's the question we need to ask ourselves in testing our patience. Is, am I willing to wait? Am I willing to wait? If you're able to trust God's timing before you know it, if, you're, if you can trust what God is doing, patience is right around the corner if you're willing to wait. But if we're not, like Sarah, then we do something that's opposed to God's will, God's plan. In our house, uh, my wife is the saver, and I am the spender. That may come as a surprise to some of you, probably not. But, but I'm the spender, she's the saver. And it, but something I learned to make me much better than I used to be was years ago someone told me, and I don't remember where I, I picked it up, but somebody said, if you will wait three days from the time you want to buy something, and I don't buy big stuff, but I, buy, I waste a lot of money on little stuff, right? And he said, if you will wait three days before you buy something, you will spend less. And, and you know what? It's right. Because in three days, I've come up with other things I'd rather buy. I've come up with reasons why that's not that important. I, I can come up with all kinds of reasons why that's probably not the best choice, right? Waiting. And then I realized that I don't really want it. But the problem was I didn't want to wait. Oftentimes, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. And that's the way it is with God as well. We, if we're willing to wait, things can change. Things can change. The second thing we see in Sarah... In Sarah's heart, in verse 2, where she said, I can build a family through her. I can build a family through her. That test is simply, am I pursuing God's glory or my own? Am I pursuing God's glory or my own? Who was responsible for building God, Abram's family? Who was responsible? God. God said, I will make your name great, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do that. So why does Sarah all of a sudden begin the, the pressure on her, the frustration, because it hadn't happened? She feels like she has to do something about it, right? And so she says, I will build my family through her. God had said it was, it was up to him. But no, Sarah's frustrated with God's timing. In a real sense, she's frustrated because her glory was being delayed, that she was to be the one to answer the promise. I mean, that's the way that's the way we think, is that God's going to do this through me, and when he doesn't, I've got to figure out another way to make it happen because it's not working the way it ought to, the way God promised it would. So let me do something different. Am I pursuing God's glory or my own? That's usually the frustration, where the, the source of the frustration. It, see, it's not in the thing. It's not in the, the promise, right? When, when I want something, when I need something, when I feel like I want more of something or less of something. It's not the thing that I want, thing that I feel like I earned or deserve, it's I. It's me. It's, it's, the problem is why I feel like I have to have it now, right? That's, that's always the problem. So if that's you too, think about this. This is maybe a good little tool for you to try out. When, when you feel like you really want something, you really deserve something, and you're finding it difficult to be patient, waiting for it to happen, tell yourself the story of why you need it and why it's it's why you should have it. Just replace your name with someone else's, your your neighbor's or whatever. And then tell yourself that same story again. You know, I really, or, or Bob really needs a new boat. If Bob had a boat, if Bob had a boat, then I tell myself this. And the more I tell the story, the, the dumber it sounds. It's like, Bob don't need a boat. 
What he needs to do is just wait for God. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what Gary does too. Right? And it works. I promise you it works. Just tell, this, tell yourself the same story, but tell, tell it about somebody else. And it'll give you a new perspective on it. I, I can assure you. Second test, test. Second test is who will be glorified. The third one is am I obeying God's word. Is it in keeping, the thing that I'm longing for, is it in keeping with God's word? The thing that I desire, is it, is it something that God would be pleased with? For Sarah, it was culturally acceptable for her to give a, her husband another woman. Nobody would say anything. But what did God say? God said in Genesis, right, that, that a husband and wife become one flesh in marriage. That when they come together, they are one. But later on, and we'll see later on in the, in the Bible, that, that this will be written down as the law of God, that, that, that the covenant keeping between a husband and wife, that, that no one should commit adultery, right? No one should break that, that vow. So this wasn't some sort of surrogate motherhood here going on. No, this, she gave Hagar to be his wife. It says in verse 4, I'm going to give you my servant to be your wife. This was out of bounds for God's ideal for marriage. Not, it, you can't justify it, right? As I was thinking about the things that cause me to be impatient, and as you think about the things that cause you to be impatient, is it in keeping with God's word? Is it the things of God that you're impatient about? Because those are okay, right? Justice, generosity. It's okay to be impatient about those things. But sin of my own, like I want to hurt and get out and do it. I want, to come, I, want to, I want what I want. That's not okay to be impatient about. God's promise is what should enable us to be patient. Faith. Faith enables us to disregard the expectations of the world. How the world says you you gotta you gotta have this or you don't measure up. Well, what does God's word say? What does God's word say? God's word says you already measure up. Fourth test. And this one's pretty clear, I think. Am I experiencing joy and peace as a result of whatever this is? Is it bringing joy to my life? If I'm not patient. Right? If I act on my impatience, did it result in joy? Peace? Verse 4 says that Hagar began to despise her mistress. Now we can kind of understand, you know, she probably was like, do I look like I'm getting fat yet? Can you, can you see? Am I showing yet? Right? Because she's talking to a woman who's been barren for 10 years, who's been living with a promise, and she starts walking around like, can you tell? really tell with me, right? You're thinking, you're thinking, boy, he does look pregnant. But no, like like she's probably kind of rubbing her nose in it a little bit, right? Or at least Sarah would feel like she was rubbing her, whether she was doing it, well, Scripture says she was, she was kind of, right? So there was a lot of conflict between the two of them, right? Does joy and peace result? Now, this doesn't say that if I'm following God, then there's never going to be conflict. No, that's not what, this, what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, though, is that if you're following God's word, if you're living into God's promise, then you will have peace about it. The, everything else, the turmoil that it may create, you're going to be joyful in it. If Sarah had answered any of these questions, history may have worked out differently. We don't know. We don't know. Because 
she got in the way. But what we can do is we can learn from her mistakes. We can learn from her missteps. James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote a very similar instruction, right, to the church as these rules did in, in James uh, chapter 3. For he's, he wrote down, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That does that sound like Sarah's life right now in this story? No, not at all, right? Not at all. They're in the middle of a civil war in this love triangle. You see, we can learn from Sarah's inability to wait. We can learn. We can learn from her mistakes. And that's a good thing. Also, we can learn to wait more faithfully in the midst of our waiting. Because waiting is actually not a... Faith, waiting is a time to be obedient. It's a time to practice, to become obedient, to obey God. It makes room for obedience. We don't know what might have been because Abram and Sarah didn't let us find out. Right? They, they stole that from us. But waiting on God isn't, isn't a matter of wasting our time. We're waiting on God. It's His time. When God doesn't speak, we do the last thing He told us to do. <laughs> that's what, that's, when God hasn't spoken to you, you keep doing what He told you last. My dad used to tell me that all the time. If I don't tell you anything different, just keep doing what I already told you to do. Fair enough. Of course, just like the Lord, I tend to buck against that a little bit because I got bored with it, got tired of waiting, right? He would say, what did I tell you to do? Why didn't you do it, right? God doesn't need our help. He's not too busy. He hasn't forgotten about us, right? Oftentimes when we don't hear God or we don't, we don't see God leading us in anywhere, we think, like, he doesn't care. He's not involved. But no, that's not the case. Waiting is an opportunity to trust God. In this, we can trust Him. Because while we don't know what might have been, we do know that one thing that would have been is the promise would still be answered. Because it's God's promise. If, if she hadn't have done what she did, God's promise would still have been answered. Right? That's what we know. Sarah reminds us that our frustration in waiting is actually a call, a reminder for us to trust God's promises. That if we, if we test our impatience, if we test it and it fails, we still have God and we still have his promise. Now let's look at the other side of that impatience. Hagar, for a minute. Okay, so Hagar's pregnant. Probably pretty happy about it. Apparently she's, she's kind of rubbing Sarah's face in it a little bit, right? So Sarah complains to Abram. She complains about this Hagar. And what does she say? Your slave is in your hands, Abram says to her. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. He said, 
this angel said to her, Hagar, slave of Sarah, Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She answered, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. And then a great promise upon his head. Wow, I don't know if we'd ever want this blessing for our kids, but he'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Can we say amen that people don't have children when they're 86 anymore? <clears throat> amen. This waiting that, that Hagar had experienced to you and I it probably seems somewhat cruel. Like, why is this happening to her? She hadn't asked to be a part of this. She's been drugged into it by Sarah and Abram. She'd been brought into this. And Abram didn't, I mean, it was bad enough that Sarah would mistreat her, but Abram, the father of this child, didn't even step in to protect her. Seems to be the worst. Makes us ask, where is God in all this? Well, first remember that this wasn't God's plan. This wasn't his desire. His desire was to bless Sarah. But now, because of the decision, because Abram and Sarah had a better plan, Hagar gets to live into this, right? Some might consider Sarah's waiting as well to be a little cruel. Ten years of waiting. can't imagine the frustration. For us, looking back, we can see how God was at work all along the way, but for them, it's, it's in real time, it's not as easy, right? It's not as simple. Hagar was invited to help Sarah and Abram. She probably was all excited about it. Sounds like a great story in some kind of strange Arkansas kind of way. <laughs> but in reality, it's a nightmare. And Hagar just wants out. She just wants out of it. Have you ever had one of those situations? Something that you just got to get out of? I just want out. You don't care. I don't care where I'm going, but I got to get out of here, right? Ever experienced that? I remember the first time our son got mad at us. So mad, in fact, that he wanted to run away. I mean, you know, went to his room and packed up some stuff. And, and I, if I remember right, we even helped him pack. Uh, it was kind of funny, but it was kind of sad. It was kind of heartbreaking at the same time that, that he would be so adamant against what we wanted for him that he was just going to leave. I mean, it was, it was a mix. Our way was just too hard. Oftentimes, our season of waiting that we experience, too, it appears, things appear cruel and, and unfair and unjust in the midst of it. But that's usually based more, less on God's promise and more on our expectation of God. How we think God ought to do what he ought to do, or what he said he would do. We, we have expectations for God, and when those don't line up, we, we kind of get frustrated with them. We get, we get put out. We lose patience. 
when God isn't showing up the way we think he ought to show up to meet our expectations. And what do you, what do, you do? I'm, well, I'm not going to assume that what you do. I'm going to say what I do when my expectations aren't met. I usually have a pity party, right? Kind of like, oh, I wish it would have, should have. Feel sorry for ourselves. It's kind of what we see is happening to Hagar. But God doesn't promise an easy life. God doesn't promise a life free of, of problems, of difficulty, of pain, of heartache. God doesn't promise us a life free from sickness or illness. He promises to be there with us through it all, no matter what life may bring. But Hagar, she runs away instead. She runs away anyway, in spite of that. She runs away, and, and guess who finds her? Scripture tells us. God. You can't hide from him. He was there all along. But she didn't know that. The angel of the Lord finds her in the desert on the road to Shur. Angel asks, where are you running from? Where are you running to? She says, I'm running from Sarah. She doesn't even talk about where she's going to. She hadn't even thought about it. She hadn't even thought about where she's going. She's just getting away from that. That seemed cruel, seemed unjust, seemed unfair. Getting away from it. But what we know, because we see the story, the whole picture, right, is that she was actually on the road back to Egypt. She was going back home, back where things were right. She was running back to what she knew. And we do that too. Just like when she couldn't wait, she was going back to what she could count on. We run back to things that we know when our waiting gets uncomfortable too. We run back to him or to her. We run back to those friends, to those unhealthy habits. We run back to mom or dad, to work, to food, to alcohol. We run back. Even in church, we tend to go back to things. We've said many times, I can't wait to get back to church. I can't wait to get back to worshiping, have services like we used to. We don't even think about, is the place I'm wanting to get back to where I'm supposed to be? We never even think to ask that. We just know that we want to get back to it. So if we have to run, I would encourage us, let's, let's learn from Hagar. If we have to run, and so I understand running, let's, let's at least make sure that we're running in the right direction. Let's make sure that we're going to run in the right direction. Hagar doesn't. She just runs. She has no... She doesn't even refer. She doesn't know where she's going. But God finds her anyway. And look at the angel tells her. He tells her to go back and submit to Sarah. To go back and submit. Now, just as a side note here. Hagar, we're not told what is going on with uh, being mistreated. That's all we know, that she's being mistreated. We, 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 our minds may take that in a bunch of different places, but we don't know. I don't believe that it was a physical, anything physical involved here. It could have been, but I don't believe it was. If she was being physically abused, or she was being abused in any way, she should get away, frankly. And, and I'll just say that for anybody watching this or anybody listening to this, that, that you should get out of relationships where there's abuse involved. Every time, all the time. No one has the right to abuse you. No one ever has the right to abuse you. Physically, emotionally, mentally, anything. Get out. Get help. Do not fall for the lie. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. Don't. 
Let them tell it to the judge. Like, don't fall for it. You don't have to believe it right now. Let them explain it to someone else. You need legal help? See a lawyer. You need emotional help? See a counselor. You need spiritual help? Then see a pastor. Get help. But I'm believing that Hagar's mistreatment was not physical because God sends her back. God says, go back to Sarah. Back under the care of the, the one, the man, who had a promise. Back under the man, under the care of the one who was faithful, Abram, right? That's where God sends her. Go back and submit to Sarah. And God says, I will bless your descendants. I will bless. Your... See, Hagar, Hagar wasn't in the wrong place. She was in the wrong relationship. She was in the wrong relationship. Instead of going back to Egypt, what she needed to do was get into a relationship with God instead of run away to Egypt. I wonder how many times I've run away from the very place that God wanted me to be with Him. It's probably happened to me many times. I didn't trust God, so I ran. Waiting, you see, makes room for us to grow spiritually. Not only does waiting give us an opportunity to test our impatience, but it gives us a place to grow in our faith. There are seasons to act, absolutely. There are seasons, there, there's a time to run. But we serve an incredible God, a God that's the creator of the heavens and the earth, a God who molded life from dirt and filled it with life, of it. the breath of his, his air, right? The breath of life, breathe into it. So ask yourself, does God really need you or me? No. No, he doesn't need us. Does he want to bring you joy by, by bringing you in to be a part of his plan? Absolutely. He wants to bless you. He, he created you to love you. Not, to, not because he needed you, but because he wants to love you. What's most important is what he's doing in you, not what he's going to do through you. What he's doing in you right now in this moment is the most important thing that you've got in your, going on in your life. The most important thing. Not what, he's, not what he's going to do next week. Not what, he, not what he didn't do last year. What he's doing right now is the most important thing you have going on in your life. In you. And he wants you to be fully connected to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right? That's the first commandment Jesus said. To love the Lord your God. Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says that the, that the Lord ranges the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is longing for people whose hearts are direct are focused on him. That's what he longs for. And look what he finds in these two. This little love triangle that we have going on here, right? That, that God does something amazing when he when he gets their attention. God does something. Sarah, I mean to Hagar, he, he Hagar submits. She submits to God. She goes back to Sarah. She submits to God's plan of justice, right? Not like, this isn't right, but I'm going back because I trust God. Going back because the one who sees me, sees me. I'm going back. Sarah, she has to receive her back. That means submitting to what God has done in, in Hagar's life. 
Sarah had to submit to God's plan as well. Both needed God's grace. Both had to surrender. They were both strengthened by that submission. See, this, this waiting is a time to grow spiritually, even for Hagar and Sarah. We don't forget the past. It's, what makes part, it's part of what makes you who you are today. But God is doing something now and tomorrow. He's doing something, and he wants you to be a part of it. We're called to, to, to him in the midst of everything he's doing, our frustration and our running. We're called to surrender. What we need is not Egypt. What we need is not in Egypt. Egypt I use as a description here, right? Because, because Sarah, for Sarah, it was a girl from Egypt, right? And for Hagar, it was a home in Egypt. For us, we have an idea of what God has, God wants for our lives, right? And we, we know what we want to see God do in our lives. You, you may, if you thought about this for a while, you would think of it, that I want more of God's grace, right? I want to experience his power to live my life the way he's called me to live. We long to know the joy that doesn't depend on our circumstances. We want all these things. We want a career that has significance, not just a job. In our retirement, we want our lives to matter here on earth still before we, in the days that we have left. We want our marriages to be a place of rest, not a place of pain. Where do we go to find these things? Where do we find them? In Egypt? No. No, we never going to find them in something other than a relationship with God. We, and we even do this in, in the church. We do this here as, as church folk all the time. We, we, we come up with plans for, for worship, for small groups, for youth ministry, and all these things. And We talk about how to, oh, if we can just do things a little different and we can tweak it this way and that way and just to, and people would come and people would be engaged and, and all these things. When in reality, God has given the church a plan. Make disciples. That's God's plan for the world. It's for the church to make disciples. And a church that struggles financially is a church that doesn't make disciples. A church that struggles to have leaders isn't making disciples. A church that that doesn't get involved in the community is a church that doesn't make disciples. A church that doesn't baptize new believers is a church that's not making disciples. A church that doesn't have visitors is a church that doesn't make disciples. Our job as Christians is to make disciples, not to run programs, not to, not to come up with new plans, but to make, to do God's plan. Do what I tell you to do until I tell you something different. He's never told us anything different. In life, as it is in church, instead of running and trying to create other plans, other ideas, things that we think might be better than God's plan, maybe, maybe we should just work out His plan. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Instead of running to something else. Go back to what He's told us to do. God loves to save. The disciples, when Jesus uh, rose from the dead, the story in John chapter 20. Disciples, uh, the women came to the tomb, saw that it was open, and Jesus wasn't there. They went and told the disciples, and the disciples went to check. Two of them ran, they raced. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. 
them understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. They were told Jesus, somebody took Jesus' body. No way! Couldn't have happened. They raced to the tomb. They get there, and they see the body's gone. They're like, huh, I guess somebody did take him. It's not that they, they didn't believe Jesus had rose. They believed somebody had took him. And so they go back. Can't believe somebody took him. Who, who found out that Jesus was alive? The women who stayed. The women who waited. Jesus appeared to them. And just, just a few moments later, they didn't have to wait much longer. He was right there. Run to Jesus when you can't see God at work. Run to Jesus when you can't see God at work in your life. In your, in your, when, you, when you feel impatient, when you feel stressed because God's not moving, run to Jesus in the midst of that. He loves to save. He's our hope. Romans 5.20 says, The law was brought in so that, we might, so that the trespass might increase. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Because God wanted us to see where we'd fallen short. Right? God wants us to see where we're, where we're running. He wants to show you where you're running away from Him. And He wants you to come back to Him. He wants you to. He loves to save people. He loves to save us from our sin. He wants to show us that He is our promise. He alone is our promise. John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God wants to save us from our sin, from ourselves. He wants us to know that He is everything we need, even more. Everything we need, even more. And today, while you've been impatient this week, while I've been impatient this week, wanting this COVID thing to be over with, wanting this or that to be over with, and I'm just, it's time for it to be done and move on. I can wait because I'm going to go to Jesus instead. You can wait. When things aren't right in your relationships, in your home, with your kids, with your family, whatever, when the turkey got overcooked, you can go to Jesus. Amen. He is everything you need. When we can't see God at work, run to Jesus. Don't run away. And if you feel like, oh man, I messed up, what can God do with me? A quote, and I failed to get the person's name who said it, but I really like it. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings series starting over even if it's every day so Mark Abram is faithful is that he always came back to God he was faithful even when he messed up always faithful I'd like to pray for you God we praise you we thank you for your generosity God we thank you for your goodness Lord for your th we thank you for your provision for our lives we ask you God that you would Remind us, God, to allow us to see our impatience as a call to test. A call to test where we are, to, to measure ourselves according to your will. Lord, that we might see our impatience as, a, as an opportunity to grow in our relationship with you, God. To trust you. Lord, do something in us. Do something in us that That as we feel frustrated because things aren't playing out the way they, they should, the way we think they should, God, we ask you to work. Mold and shape us to be the people that you need. 
help us to be disciple makers in this church and in this community, God, that, that your plan is to transform the world through the lives of disciples, that we would look around us, that we'd, we'd learn how to make disciples if we don't know how. That we'd, be, we'd want to be faithful to your call in the life of us, your people, those you have saved, to, to go and reach others and tell others about your good news and invite them into a relationship with your son Jesus. God, show us how to do that. Teach us how. Encourage us and give us opportunities to share your good news with the world around us who's desperate for hope. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for what you're doing in us, through us, and even in spite of us, Father. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. 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 I invite you, if you would, to, to join me for our benediction. Um, and I'll say this right after the service. We're going to take a few minutes and get the technology together for the, uh, for the charge conference. It's going to start at 1230. So if you need to run home and come back, you're welcome to do that. But that's going to start at 1230 sharp. Can you say sharp when it's at 1230? I don't know if you can or not. But anyway, uh, join me for the benediction, if you would. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust God has put me there. He has a purpose for me being there. Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me, no matter where I am. I believe this and go in his grace and his love and his power. Amen, amen. Mm-hmm.